Well, all right, guys, welcome to Renovate. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Hope you had a great Christmas and a great New Year's. I know I did, but I'm excited to be here tonight. And if you're a guest, I want to especially welcome you tonight. And uh, if you're looking for a ministry to get plugged into, a young adult ministry, we would, we would love for you to get plugged into our ministry. And if you didn't get a Connect card on the way in, we have Connect cards out at the information desk. And you can fill out as much information as you would like. But what that does is, is it allows you to get our text messages and emails about upcoming events and things like that. So once again, I hope tonight is a blessing to you and I hope you experience the love of Christ. So um, I am super excited about tonight. Uh, for those who've been a part of Renovate last semester, we had some big changes that happened at the end. We decided to bring the college ministry into Life Stage 2, and uh, we think this is going to be amazing for Life Stage 2 and for the life of the church here at Christ Chapel. One of the things I'm most excited about is bringing Ben Fuquay on board with Life Stage 2. Can I get an amen from the college people? And so... I've gotten to spend a lot of time with Ben in a short amount of time over the holidays, and we've done a lot of brainstorming sessions. Um, we have talked a lot about how do we want to start this ministry out. It's a whole new thing. We're, we're, we're changing things. So we got together, and, and we got all hyped up on coffee, and we got the dry erase board and the dry erase board markers. We got a room here at the church, and we started dreaming about what can this ministry look like. What can we do to make an impact in Fort Worth? And so we were, we were just thinking about different things, and we were thinking about what, what's that sermon series that we want to do to kick it off to communicate what we believe we're all about, what we believe we can do to make an impact in Fort Worth. And so we looked at different things, but we had an aha moment in the Fellowship Hall West with the dry erase board and a lot of coffee. Aha moment going back to the beginning in the book of Acts. And you don't need to turn there. But there was a passage in Acts 17 that just struck us. And that it was like, this is it. This is what we want to be all about. And so it's Acts 17, and Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica. And what Paul does in every city he goes to is he preaches the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. He goes into the synagogues, and he, he gets them all extremely frustrated and angry. And they want to beat him, and they want to kill him in every city he goes to. And Thessalonica was no different. And so in verse 4 it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, as they were in every city that he went to. The Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, that's a cool word, rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting this phrase. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, talking about Silas and Paul. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is, there is another king, and it's Jesus. And so Paul and Silas go into the city and, and the reputation that they had in the Roman Empire was that these were followers of Jesus and what they did was they turned the city upside down. And so Ben and I started talking. We are like, this is what we're all about. This is what we want to do in Fort Worth. We want to turn this city upside down. We want to make a difference. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to settle for just a Wednesday night service where we all get together, we hang out, 
We play some really good worship music. We have an excellent band. We preach from the Bible. And then we go back to our lives and live our lives our way and do what we want to do. And we miss out on an opportunity to change our city. And so we were like, this is it. We're, we're not about any, any kind of uh, uh, wild, extravagant programs and events and, and how sexy can we make this church look. That's not what we're about. We're about transforming this city, Fort Worth. And so we started looking at that and we said, hey, this is where we need to go. So in the next five weeks, we're going to look at the book of Acts and we're going to look at some of the average, normal disciples of Christ that turned their world upside down. But what I want to do tonight is I want to go back just a little bit and go back to the mission statement that should be every one of our mission statements. It's the command from the general. It's the game plan that our coach has given us, and it's in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be up on the screen. Many of you who who have been Christians for a while know this passage. It's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the last things that Jesus said to his disciples is what I want you to do is I want you to take what I have taught you And I want you to go spread that all over the world. I want you to make disciples. I want you to make followers of me. I want you to teach them. I want you to baptize them. I want you to love them. I want you to come alongside them. And I want you to to reproduce what you've seen in me. And what's amazing is this, this movement, this Jesus movement, started with 12 disciples. And today, do you know how many Christians there are all over the world? Over 2 billion And it started with 12 disciples. And Jesus' grand plan to turn the world upside down was to take average people and say, go make disciples. That's it. That's really the mission statement of every church, every ministry, every parachurch ministry that loves Jesus in the Bible. It's really simple. You can change the wording. We, we call our ministry Renovate, and it's about renovating lives. But what it all comes down to is we want to make followers of Jesus that love Him and live their lives to bring Him glory. It's about making disciples. But here's the problem. This is a group project. This is a command for all of us. Every single disciple making disciples. And I think we frequently leave out the word single. So we say, disciples making disciples. And many of us just kind of breeze over that and think, well, that must not be for me. But every single disciple in this room has to go make disciples. Or this dream to make a difference in Fort Worth is not going to happen. Like it's either all in or go find another place to just sit down and and get fed and then do what you want to do the rest of your time. Because I'm committed and Ben's committed and I've seen his track record with the college ministry on Sunday mornings. We are committed to being more than just an event where people come and get fed. We want to turn this world upside down. We want to make a difference. We don't want to settle. If I wanted to settle, I'd go to a small church and and, and just have a comfortable position and, and stay in my comfort zone and preach 
my messages and, and just have a happy, normal life, but that's not what God has called us to. And I don't think that's what God has called you to. I think what we have here is something big. And when I say big, I don't mean numbers. I mean, I think God wants to do something special in the city of Fort Worth. And I think for whatever reason, he's called me to this, he's called Ben to this, he's called our staff to this, and our leadership teams, and our volunteers, because God wants to do something special. And I'm telling you, I was born and raised in Fort Worth. I've never seen a movement of God in Fort Worth that, that was related to young adults that just made people go, wow, these people are turning the world upside down, this must be a God thing. I've seen some good things, but I've never seen a God thing for young adults in Fort Worth. For whatever reason, I think this is the group. But it's going to take every single one of us. And so before we launch into the book of Acts and look at these amazing stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, I thought let's start this off by looking at the barriers that are keeping us from making disciples. Because I think that's what it all comes down to. I think most of you who profess Jesus Christ deep down have a desire to see other people, their eyes come alive to the good news, like yours did at one point. I think most of you that profess Christ want to be a part of a movement that's bigger than you. And Ben and I are committed to doing whatever we can to help equip you and train you to do that, but it's going to take every single one of us. And there's barriers there's more barriers that I'm going to talk about tonight, but I want to talk about five barriers that keep us from obeying this command of Jesus. Not a suggestion, but a command. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down, but the first barrier is a theological barrier. There's a lot of people who read this passage throughout church history that have said, oh, this is for the apostles. Jesus was talking to the twelve apostles. He wasn't talking to us. We're not those guys. That was a command for them. And I think a lot of Christians over the years have used that as a, as a way to excuse themselves for, for not living on mission. But the fact of the matter is that couldn't be any further from the truth. I mean, how could 12 disciples in Jerusalem within decades influence the Roman world to the point that people are saying these are the people that are turning the world upside down? It had to be passed on. And I, one of my favorite things as a kid was watching the Summer Olympics. You know, greatest athletes in the world. And I grew up a sports fan, and so my family gathered around the TV every, I guess, four years back then. I think it's changed, but we would, we would love the Summer Olympics. My dad was a javelin, javelin thrower, and so he loved Olympics. But my, one of my favorite competitions was the relay race. You had the fastest guys in the world, all competing as a team, and the beauty of seeing those guys just fly around the track, and gals fly around the track, but, but the beauty of it was the execution of the handoff of the baton, right? You know, it was a team, but it was the, the handoff that, that when they were doing it right and the gold medalists, it just was smooth and perfect. But have you ever seen the relay race where everything's going smooth and they're flying and they've got it won and what happens? The handoff. It, it breaks down, the baton hits the ground, and you just see the team go to their knees, and you see the guy who's got the final stretch thinking, I've trained four years for this, and I don't even get to run. It's over. And I remember running the little relay races as a kid in elementary school, loving it, but hating it when my team would drop the baton, because it's like, well, it stops right there. When that baton hits the ground, it stops right there, the race is over. And I think, sadly, in our culture... 
in a lot of different pockets of Christians, there hasn't been this idea that we have got to pass the baton on to the next generation. We have got to hand it off to the people around us. We can't keep it and hold it or put it aside. Does that make sense? I mean, this is a group effort. I don't know why God chose to do it this way. But, but your understanding of the fact that this passage is for you and for me is crucial to knowing what your purpose is in life. Theological barrier. The second barrier is a ministry barrier. And I, let me say this one thing. I love this quote. I, I knew I might skip over this, but i got to say it. D.A. Carson, I don't know if you've heard of him. Unbelievable theologian. He knows like ten languages. He's a New Testament scholar. He's brilliant. And he's gospel-centered. But he says, The gospel is always only four generations from being lost. First generation, the gospel's accepted. Everybody hears it, accepts it, believes it, understands it. Second generation, the gospel's assumed. You know, we don't hear it much at church, but we all know what the gospel means. The third generation, the gospel is confused. It's like, man, I'm hearing this stuff about Jesus dying for our sins, but I don't even know what that means. I, I thought we got to work but we've got to do good works to get to heaven. And what happens is the fourth generation, the gospel is lost entirely. Disappears. And I hate to break it to you, but in our culture, we're, we're living in a post-Christian culture. No longer can we assume that, that the, the principles of Scripture and the gospel is going to be known by the people that we go to school with and sit in class with and work with. Just because they live in the Bible Belt and can use... Christian language doesn't mean they know the gospel. We've got to hand it off. The second one is the ministry barrier. And this one, man, this one, I, I know you're all going to resonate with this because I fell into this trap at one point. But the ministry barrier is that this, this, uh, this mission is for pastors and missionaries. This is for the paid staff. I mean, they go to work every day at the church and they're, they're thinking about it all the time and Ben and Tyler are playing on the dry erase board while we're out there, you know, making money and doing, you know, doing our job. We're in here playing games. It's, this is for paid staff people. This isn't for me. I mean, do you know my schedule? And that's a, that's a misunderstanding of the ministry that God has called us to. And in Ephesians 4, this is, this is the passage... Verse 11, it says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? What was the task that he gave guys like Ben and I to do? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? It's making disciples. The funny thing, Ben and I spend all of our time, unless we're really intentional about it, at the church with other believers. We work with other pastors, and, and we, we're constantly around other believers. You guys are out in the world, many of you. Doctors and nurses and lawyers and real estate agents and students, and you're in the classrooms, you're in graduate school, you're around non-believers and young Christians all the time. And yet you come and sit here and receive, and you think that we're going to do all of the work of passing the baton on and making disciples. It's not the way the Bible has mapped out. That's not the strategy. The strategy is the guys that are paid to think about it all day are thinking about how can we help you guys make disciples. How can we train you? And that's why Ben tonight has his leadership development plan. That's why we have our small group leader training. 
once a month. And, and guess what? We're thinking of every single way we possibly can to help you be equipped to make disciples. And that's our commitment to you guys. But the fact is, you're actually the ones doing the ministry. You're the ones out there on the front lines. You're the ones in the trenches. You're the ones having the awkward conversations with people who hate Jesus. You're the ones who, who, who have co-workers that are totally opposed to what you believe. But it's your job to make connections with those people and seek to lead them to Christ and share the good news. The ministry is a barrier. I, I think we have this weird idea that there's two different types of disciples. The ones that are committed to the mission and the ones that kind of are going to choose to live for themselves. There's only one disciple of Christ. There's only one kind. The ones who make disciples. That's it. If you say you're a disciple of Christ, then you'll be a disciple maker. I'm not saying you'll be perfect, but that's going to be high up on your priority list. The third barrier is a spiritual barrier. And I'm, I'm, Tyler, I, I get it. I understand. I'm with you. But I don't think you realize how far along I am in the Christian life. I'm, I'm not very far. I don't think I'm very spiritual. I'm new to this thing. I've got baggage. Here's the great thing. That's why we named this Renovate, because we're all under construction. I've got baggage. I've got sin. If you think you have to be perfect to make disciples, you've missed it. Jesus is the only perfect one. And he gives us his righteousness so that we can go out and share the good news that we're not saved because of our good works. We're saved because of Christ's good works. And so it, really it's not about where you are in your spiritual life. This is a command. You know, I want you to continue to work on your life. That's what we're here for as well. But, but it doesn't excuse you from making disciples, even though you're doing it imperfectly. I'm doing it imperfectly. I make mistakes all the time. I, I, I give bad advice all the time. I'm not perfect. Ben's not perfect. But we're committed to the, to the mission. I think God wants you to be committed to the mission as well. Number four, emotional barrier. And this one was kind of a stretch connecting it to what I want to talk about. But this is kind of the idea that, man, I, I, my life is just too normal and mundane. You know, you're talking about turning the world upside down. You're talking about making a difference. I don't know if you know my routine, but it's pretty boring is what you're thinking right now. But my routine's boring too. You know, I get up and eat breakfast. I, I go to church or to class and do ministry stuff eat lunch normally with, with guys and then um, go home and play with my kids and then we eat dinner and then we wrestle a little bit and then we put the kids to bed and then Ari and I, my wife, we spend time together and then we go to sleep and then we do it again and again and again and again. But what you're going to see in this series is that God loves to use people who have normal mundane lives. Those are the best ones because guess who else has normal and mundane lives around you? Everybody that you work with, everybody that you go to class with, you, you have opportunities to really get to know people because you're not flying all over the world and, and going to this place and that. You can really get to know people in your context. But I think we, we kind of, we read books like Radical and, and, you know, David Platt had the book Radical that came out and, a few years ago and it was a big sensation that made you think, well, I don't know if God's calling me to sell everything I have and quit school and go to Africa and be a missionary. If that's what it means to be a disciple, I don't, I don't think God's calling me to that. I think he wants me to continue to be a nurse that cooks children. Well, I, I want to I press into what he's saying in that book. I agree with what he's saying. For some of you, it is go to the ends of the earth. But for some of you, it's just go across the cubicle. 
and share your faith. Living a normal life is not an excuse to not make disciples. Number five, and this, one, this one's going to hurt a little bit for some of you, the vocational barrier. You love what you do. You love to work. You want to be successful. You want to make a lot of money. You have plans. You've got your own little personal mission statement. You have your own personal values, and you have, you have your, your business's personal mission statement, and you want to go make money, and you want to put this amount of money away for the wedding, and then we're going to have kids one day, so I've got a plan, and you're orchestrating your whole life, and you're, you've got it all together, and you're working 70 hours a week, and the little time that you do have, you come to things like this, or you have your small group, or you have your, your family, and, and you don't have any margin in your life to make disciples because you've bought into the idea that you're living for your own personal mission statement. Listen, if you're a disciple of Christ, we have one mission statement. That's to make disciples. And so if your vocation is a barrier to you doing the, the one thing that Jesus called you to do, then there might be some reevaluation that needs to take place in your life. You might need to look inward and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I working this amount of hours for? Why am I so obsessed with my savings account? What really matters? We all come to those conversations at different times. But, but that vocational barrier with you guys, I'm sure, is prominent because you're all sharp and you're driven and, and you have dreams and goals. And, and it's, it, you, you should do your job with excellence to the glory of Christ. But you can't get things out of order. You know, the whole priority thing. It has to submit to the, to the ultimate mission that we have, and that's to make disciples. So I know this is kind of a serious talk, but I felt like this is what we needed to talk about, and Ben as well, to kind of set the stage for looking at, okay, how do we turn the world upside down? First, we've got to address the fact that we all have barriers. I've only mentioned five. Another one is fear, and we won't get into that. We've talked about that before, but, but we have these barriers. But do you really believe in Jesus' calling and purpose for your life? Do you really understand the joy of seeing someone come to faith in Christ and see their lives transformed and changed and see the joy in their life just overcome them? You know, I look back in my early days as a Christian, and I'm like, man, I, I, sometimes I feel like I was more joyful back then. I was just on fire for the Lord. And I love to, 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 to disciple people and see the light bulb turn on in their lives. It just brings me a lot of joy. And I think some of you are missing out on some of the greatest joys of the Christian life. And so where do we go from here? I want, I want to close with just a few questions and a, and a, and a quote. Question number one, what, what are the barriers in your life? Maybe I named them tonight. Maybe I didn't. But what are the barriers in your life? And it's, it's not up there because I added that right before we got up here. So there you go. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's my fault. Um, what are the barriers that are keeping you from fulfilling the one mission that Jesus gave us before he left to sit at the right hand of God? Who are you discipling? There you go. That's a good start. Who are you taking to coffee, hanging out with, bringing into your small group, bringing into your, with your Christian circles, going and hanging out with them? Who, who are you talking to at work? Who are you investing in and praying for and showing that you genuinely love them right where they are? Who is that person in your life? 
If you don't have one, maybe this is the week that you, you, you know, you make that step and go, hey, uh, you know, fill in the blank of the name. You want to grab coffee this week? And they might be like, what? You know, you have that awkward deal, but then you sit down for coffee and just say, hey, I, you know, I've worked with you for a year now. Or I've gone to class with you for a year now. I just kind of wanted to get, get to know you. And building an, intentionally building a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Who are you discipling? Who has God brought into your life that needs the gospel or needs discipling? Maybe a non-believer, maybe a young believer, maybe someone that's just a few steps behind you in their walk. Just a few steps behind. Who's that person that you could come alongside and really help them get to the next level? And then I think I crossed, crossed this one out too. What's, what's number three? Yeah, there we go. What, what is holding you back from taking this next step? And then finally, who is discipling you? I could, I could go through a list of people that God strategically placed in my life at the exact right time that for whatever reason they loved me enough to pour into my life, to, to pray for me, to hang out with me. I had a guy in junior college, college pastor. He showed up with, with some of the girls in the college ministry and they would bring me cookies after practice and gifts and it was embarrassing. I mean... You know, it's a junior college baseball team, and they're like giggling over by the dugout and giving me cookies. I'm like, this is weird. I'm uncomfortable. But I started hanging out with Pastor Mark and started getting to know him, and he was praying for me and, and just uh, giving me books to read and, and, and teaching me how to have a, a devotional time. And I was like, why, why are you investing this amount of time in me? And it's because he bought into the mission. He saw something in me and he reached out to me. Who are you reaching out to? And who has reached out to you? We all need someone discipling us. We never graduate from that. And so I want to close real quick with uh, just a great quote. It's a classic book. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. If you don't have it, have it you ought to grab it. He says this. It all comes back to Jesus' disciples. They were the vanguard of his enveloping movement. Through their word, he expected others to believe in him, and these in turn to pass the word along to others, until in time the world might know who he was and what he came to do. How simple is that? His whole evangelistic strategy, indeed the fulfillment of his very purpose in coming into the world, dying on the cross and rising from the grave, depended on the faithfulness of his chosen disciples to this task. It did not matter how small the group was to start with, with so, long, so long as they reproduced and taught their disciples to reproduce. Did you hear that? So long as they reproduced and then taught their disciples to reproduce. This was the way his church was to win through the dedicated lives of those who knew the Savior so well that his spirit and method constrained them to tell others. As simple as it may seem, this was the way the gospel would conquer. He had no other plan. Let that sink in. There is no plan B. We either pass the baton and continue this long line of Jesus followers that we're part of. We can trace our, our, our lineage all the way back to that early church. Are we going to pass that on? Because that's the only way that Jesus has ordained for his movement to continue to grow and his kingdom to continue to advance in this world. I don't know about you, 
But I know for Ben and me, we want to see the kingdom of God advance in the city of Fort Worth. That's what we would love to see. We can't do it alone. We need your help. We're going to continue to go back to that dry erase board and think about ways that we can help, it, help you make disciples and make it as easy as possible on you to make disciples, to train you, to equip you, to prepare you, to resource you. Think of this room if we had... If each of you had two or three people that you just poured your life into and, and, and then taught them to reproduce that in others, think about the multiplication of that. I'm not good with numbers, but you know the difference between the addition and the multiplication. Like, as it gets higher, it gets crazy. And that's why we have two billion plus Christians today. So, tonight is all about, why don't you come join us as we try to turn this city upside down. Let's pray together. Father, what a wonderful privilege you've given us. I, I can't believe it. You want to use a guy like me to advance your kingdom in a world of sin and darkness and evil. You want me to help bring light to this world. Wow. Lord, I thank you for this room that you've assembled. Not by coincidence. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our ministry. I thank you for giving us clarity that it's not about an event. It's not about uh, seeing how cool we can make Wednesday nights, but it's back to the basics. It's about making disciples in Fort Worth. That's it. In fact, not only in Fort Worth, but in Texas and the U.S. and around the world, through missions and all kinds of different things. And so, Lord, thank you for letting us participate in such a wonderful mission. What a great way to spend our lives and to give our lives your cause and your mission. We love you. We praise you. May Jesus be lifted up in the young adult ministry at Christ Chapel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.